Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to support and save the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Petra Page Mann is co-founder with her husband, Matthew Goldfarb, of Fruition Seeds, a young seed company with a big calling. Fruition is a small family farm, a team of 12 humans cultivating over 300 varieties of certified organic vegetables, herbs, and flowers to surround us all with beauty and abundance in short growing seasons. In the heart of the Finger Lakes of Western New York on unseeded Haudenosaunee, Sony Seneca lands, Fruition shares the seeds as well as the tools, inspiration, and insight for growing ourselves as well as our gardens. Petra, I'm so excited to speak with you today, so close to the 10-year anniversary of Fruition. You are a force in the world, germinating and tending to the change you want to see. Welcome. Takes one to know one, Jennifer. It's (laughs) such a joy to be here today with you. So I am going to ask you to give me a little bit of a mission statement for your own life and growing work, maybe both personally and professionally with what you do for fruition and with fruition seeds. Mm, Delicious. So from, from a more professional outward facing stance. I love, love, love. We are so motivated by the Chinese proverb that goes something along the lines of give a person a fish, feed them for a day, teach a person to fish, feed them for a lifetime. And so in that sense, we love to share seeds, but we love to go so much more (laughs) than just sharing seeds Mm. and to actually be sharing not only the how to grow and the really anger, the hunger, the inspiration to grow, but the seeds saving and that hunger for this, that love of like, where are we in this incredible lineage of humans and plants co-adapting, co-evolving, and then the hunger to become good ancestors ourselves. Um, So that we love to share seeds that we grow, those organic regionally adapted seeds for short seasons and we, but really what makes us jump out of bed in the morning is cultivating those relationships we have with people and with plants and sharing everything that we've learned and are continuing to learn through joy and through struggle. And for me personally, at least my mantra, I have so many mantras that ebb and flow and what's really feeding me right now is this idea of love what you critique and critique what you love Mm. and just always bringing that love and always bringing that critical lens. And so whether it's what's happening in the Middle East and Palestine or how are we going, what are we selecting this pepper for this year Mm. (laughs) Uh, through the entire spectrum of how we relate to our seeds and ourselves and our wide, wider world. Um, gardening is apolitical and how can we be amplifying abundance in our gardens and so far beyond and placing our plants at the center of our teachers and teachings. 
it, at this moment in time, it feels like there are more and more very visible good humans out there working to assuage this hunger with healthy and nutritious offerings. Yes, yeah. totally, totally. Oh, I just love this quote. Charles Dickens is never wrong. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh. We've talked about your mission statement. You've brought every single level of conception and kind of meta thinking as well as tangible work to your answer there. Take us back a little bit, Petra, in, in your uh, still young life. Uh, who were the, the people and places and plants that grew you into a woman mm-hmm. for whom this would be valuable life calling and um, an engagement? Uh, and starting with where, where you were born and raised, Petra. Mm, there are so many people, and I will not even come close to naming them all here today or thanking them all adequately in my lifetime. And yeah, so I grew up here in the Finger Lakes of Western New York in my father's garden, which I will always be so grateful for. And it wasn't a large garden. It was about a 30 by 30, you know, give or take garden that was a big garden to me and was all I knew of gardening really. And it just, we saved seeds, which I didn't think anything of because we sowed seeds. So there Mm. was this seamless understanding of, well, of course we save seeds because we want to sow seeds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I'll forever be grateful for him without even really realizing it, connecting those dots for me and helping me see these loops and these cycles so brilliantly. And of course, once you start saving a few seeds, you save way more seeds than you would ever need for your garden. So you need friends and all of a sudden you have this beautiful abundance to share with them. So I took it for granted for the first two decades of my life, both the quality and quantity of food I had access to and just the gift of those cycles and the nourishment of the seed itself on all of these levels. And it was as a late teenager, really falling in love with agriculture as this intersection of so many of my passions and began, I began working on a number of different farms, a decade of working a season on, different farms and started out loving that my first love was horses and horsepower as opposed to tractor power. And so seed saving was kind of my like third priority of what like horsepower, growing food, and then saving seeds started. That was my like 17 year old (laughs) passion, but, um, and like list. And so by three years in, I like threw in the towel on basically everything else but seed. I recognized that seed was just every question that I asked came back down to whether it was genetic diversity or talking about the stories that we tell and how those are seeds. And then just beginning to see this beautiful and horrifying world of seed in the 21st century, Mm. which is such a commodified expression of this deep love, an ancient love. And so just spending a decade in that, in that world, 
of working for organic seed growers. And I worked for one of the smallest seed growers in the world who now has his own seed company, Don Tipping, Siskiyou Seeds, phenomenal oh, human. Out, and out phenomenal here in my part seeds. of the world. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. I spent... I don't know, six, seven years in the Pacific Northwest. Oh. Um, just that's the so much of the organic seeds produced on this quote produced on this continent come from that place. Mm-hmm. And so I really just am embedded in that place for a number of years to really learn the ropes and And so then bringing, yeah, I grew up here in the Northeast and then traveled many different places centering in the Pacific Northwest to learn and really immerse myself in seed world Mm -hmm. in that more quote commercial, not quote, I mean, it's not hypothetical. Right. No. Yeah. In the the very clear um, epicenter of organic seed production in the U.S. and now bringing them in 20. 11 moved back to New York and spent a season as a <laughs> far, as a trials manager for one of the largest seed companies in the world and their East Coast headquarters, East US Coast headquarters, which was eye-opening and then really seeing and the specter of what it's like to be on the inside of that seed world mm. of like multinational seed world. Um, knowing that I was about to start a seed company and then being really galvanized to create a small, very committed to regional adaptation and regional resilience and community building embedded in place. Yeah. Um, so that was 2012. 2012. <laughs> and, and here we are a full decade later of fruition seeds. But before we get deeper into that, I want to go back a little bit to two different phrases that you used. One being the the, the specter of mm. that uh, multinational um, version of the seed world. I think people, especially gardeners, hear this idea that that is bad, that commodification and multinational seed consolidation is bad, but they don't often get the specific details on why, on what it is that is both displaced and destroyed by that version of what we think of as seed growing and distributing. Mm. Because you really have uh, just expressed to us your experience in all levels of sort of the mid-level organic growers, the very small uh, regionally based or grower, and then this this period of time with a very large company who you may or may not feel like you want to name. But if you could walk us through, you know, exactly what you mean when you say the horror and the specter, what would that be? Yeah. So colonization, as a student of seeds and of anti-oppression and just liberation movements, I am always a student and always, I feel like I'm just, every time I begin to climb the mountain, I realize I was even farther down the mountain than I realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as a student of, of these things, just colonization and this neoliberal, like we can have our cake and eat it too. And 
markets are the way that we can relate to ourselves and each other and our world is just so toxic and so foundationally extractive. And I continue to see what different layers of that look like. But, you know, 15, 20 years ago, just starting to really be like, oh, wow, I now understand that seed companies are distributors, which is kind of a really good introductory introductory level of seeing a food system, a seed system for what it is rather than what it looks like. You know, we walk into Trader Joe's, you walk into Walmart, you walk into... <laughs> You know, you know that Trader Joe's and Walmart don't have a farm behind them right. harvesting right. and bringing them in. And that was true for how seed companies, PS, that are just 150 years old, seed having a quote seed company is a very, very new thing. 150 years ago, they were growing seeds and sharing the seeds that they were growing. It's not sexy to be a distributor. And so as seed became commodified, grown elsewhere, put on a wholesale market, purchasable at like pennies on the dollar of what it takes to produce those seeds, suddenly it's not sexy mm -hmm. to tell that story. And so most seed companies don't tell that story. And so it's really easy to think that given name your seed company that they grow their seeds, the vast majority of them do not. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just important to know, <laughs> like there's a place for purveyors right. and distribution in the world. But as soon as there is a distributor, a purveyor, as soon as there is that middle man, middle person, there becomes this overnight, almost perhaps baked in bias, putting the control in the power of the buyer rather than the grower, of the distributor rather than right. the farmer. And so it quickly tips the balance and quickly just instead of a distributor being the another face and a value added part of a you know web, they become a hierarchical controller of a marketplace. And so span that out into scale and scale more and more to me is this four letter word, Jennifer, that I'm like, mm, what mm. is, I don't, I don't know that anything is scalable that is in any way human scale <laughs> and like a poor right. human life. And I might be wrong. That's something I'm just grappling with right now at this moment. Um, and so fast forward mm. to how we think that we can buy seeds is this other level of colonization where I think 500 mm -hmm. years ago, most people had this sense that buying and selling humans was not okay. And yet there were these systems in place where it was happening to such an extent that it just was the water that we swim in, especially we like naming and placing myself as a white settler um, on Turtle Island. Like, my ancestors certainly were part of a wider economic system and they were benefiting from that system. And so, but it's, if you're so embedded in it, it's so hard to see where you can actually mm -hmm. make a change mm -hmm. and be the change. And even seeing how having the imagination to even see what that might look like. So I'm really, and just to put it all out there, 
a decade ago when Matthew and I founded Fruition Seeds, we thought that growing and sharing these seeds, these organic, these regionally adapted seeds that were so, that we feel as family members, sharing those with people we love would be one of the most profound ways that we could share our love of the world with the world and amplify that love. And fast forward now, we can think all kinds of justifications around, you know, we're not selling seeds, we're selling packaging and the information that people need to be successful growing seeds. There's lots of ways that we continue to keep fruition as an entity in the world sharing and selling these seeds, but we'll spend the rest of our lives learning how to do it better. And that might include having to compost a seed selling business. Mm. I mean, and that's a very real, that's a very real thing. You know, 150 years ago, we didn't need seed companies. And I'd like to think that there will be another day where I think what seed sovereignty actually looks like won't have seed companies will no longer have a place as those middlemen, those middle people, as those, you know, industrial at any scale, because goodness isn't scalable. (laughs) This is Cultivating Place. Petra Page Mann is co-founder with her husband, Matthew Goldfarb, of Fruition Seeds, an organically, regionally adapted seed company in the Finger Lakes region of western New York. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by the California Native Plant Society on a mission to save and support California's native plants and places using both head and heart. Of the society's many programs of note, I am particularly excited about one of their newest, Bloom California. This campaign aims to increase native plant plantings across the state, transforming our gardens, parks, business fronts, and beyond into habitats. Over 85 nurseries across California have partnered to offer you Bloom California native plants. They highlight a beauty unique to your region. They support wildlife and they are climate conscious. What is not to love? Visit bloomcalifornia.org to find a nursery near you and look for Bloom California logos at a participating nursery to discover these beautiful native plants who want to make your garden their home. Hey, it's Jennifer. So I'm doing something a little different in my podcast break message this week, and that is including here not a new message, but some of my thoughts from the conversation I had with Petra that were edited out for length. I think they are worth offering out here. You, you have my, my, my mind definitely engaged in thinking about this. Like, what does seed growing and stewarding and sharing look like if we can conceive of it transcending the idea of, of transaction? Totally. 
It's one of the great dilemmas of our time, I think, is, you know, not romanticizing a past in which there wasn't uh, a currency state mm. and yet mm. trying to bring the benefits and the values of that forward that is about sufficiency, which is somewhere in the middle of that scale, right? Because we as humans occupy a great deal of land space and we uh, occupy it most densely in urban environments. And in those urban environments, you do not have the privilege of the space and the the light and the soil to to grow your own seed. And therefore, you know, certain people are in charge of certain things in the world and other people are hopefully in charge of growing the seeds for us as humans. And so how do you do that that places a value on the the humans that are engaged in this spiritual and powerfully nourishing work and how do you do it in a way that allows our curiosity and our our joy in diversity and novelty to to not be stymied uh, but that also doesn't remove us so far from what the activity actually is that we are just you know colonizers and complicit in extracting every single thing we can out of a piece of land that we've never laid eyes on. And, and you know, therein lies the big question of our universe right now as we are transforming, we hope, into a better future. And thankfully, we, are, we as humans are endlessly creative. And so I have to believe that good minds and hearts like yours, like, you know, Rowan White, like Ira Wallace, like... There are good minds and hearts and creativities engaged in trying to come up with these imaginings. And that gives me a lot of hope. We're back now to our conversation with Petra Page Mann of Fruition Seeds in the Finger Lakes region of western New York State on unceded Haudenosaunee Seneca land. As we come back, Petra is sharing the importance of the ecosystem-like web of people and places growing and sharing relational seed and seed knowledge at human scale as a direct response to the industrial-scale commodification of seed Her ecosystem-like planet mates are out there and they hold models for solutions. You have to look for them. And they seem small in the specter of everything that's like despair in this world. And and that's what a seed is, right? It's this, Mm. it's this, and just remind seeds are this endless, not so metaphorical embodiment Mm. of. I think about hope and what I would hope to cultivate as faith in my life might look like. Mm. And I just love to lift up a few humans and, and all starting with Mm, ironically a white man and then a bunch of women that are not so white. So I just love this. I love this quote from Wendell Berry that we exploit what we value and defend what we love. Yes. And that was the first word that came to mind when you said to me uh, earlier in the conversation there, you know, I don't think anything is scalable 
uh, without, you know, moving it past the, the human capacity. But those concepts that you just brought up, you know, love and life and hope, they can scale up as, as much as possible and they will never outsize us, which reminds me of, you know, mm-hmm. like a Rilke quote of you, you can, you can travel all the way across this globe and you cannot travel outside of my ability to love you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Take us to the other names and uh, seed keepers you would raise up. I love you mentioned Rowan White. Oh my goodness. Mm. On my knees. Mm-hmm. Rowan is incredible and so generous and has so many times she has shared things and I just have tears pouring down my face. Um, and so yes, Rowan, Rowan White and always, and also Vivian Sensor oh, is such an yeah. exquisite human, extraordinary seed saver. And especially in this moment with Palestine, mm-hmm. I think about her incessantly. Um, and I'm also so, so, so inspired by Owen Taylor of True Love Seeds and has especially has like a white settler just finding incredible ways to amplify seeds, their stories, people who are also doing this work. He's just such a, an extraordinary um, just hero of mine as well for like, how can we, how can we do this work so humbly and so beautifully as, as white folk as well? Right. Embracing, embracing our own histories. So as to, to love them as opposed to just criticize our pasts and, and right. Totally. And, and, and listeners, critique what we yes, love. I love, love, what we I critique. love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, that way of thinking about it. And, the um the difference that you bring if you are trying to love something you're critiquing I, I that that was really mm. moving to me and mm-hmm. and listeners um have heard me speak with Vivian with Chris and Owen with Rowan uh, with Ira and so these are all names and storylines that um, that listeners have been moved by to oh, to, to date which is nice and um and, and you know a great privilege to speak to these voices at at work in the world so all right so 12 years ago you and you you mentioned Matthew tell us the genesis story of fruition petra oh my gosh um so much fun and so delicious and i also just want to lift up that Genesis stories we get to especially in retrospect paint whatever picture we love Mm. um and so I just want to for all the folks like wondering what your seed that you're bringing to the world and it's so I just want to give you an extra huge shout out right now and I hope that as you know as you're listening to me and every other Genesis story that you'll ever hear that you too will have that moment and to crystallize things and that there are always more questions than answers and we romanticize Genesis stories Mm. in this time as well so if you're at all don't at all feel like that is a Oh, any kind of space to compare, contrast. My mother loves to say, thou not, shall not compare a lotus to a rose. <laughs> so with that, I met Matthew dancing. 
And I had been dreaming about fruition for seven years prior and it didn't have a name yet, but dreaming of just growing and sharing seeds and having that be the primary, um, like livelihood, um, and energy space that I would be dedicating myself to. So met Matthew swing dancing. He's an amazing swing dancer. Um, <laughs> can't wait to dance with you too, wherever you are. It's one of our favorite things in the world. And after that first dance, my go-to question is when I meet someone is what do you love? And so he said a number of things. Um, I remember blue whales and food um, and <laughs> lots of other delightful things. He asked me what I loved and I said, among other things, seeds. And he mentioned that he grew up with Brian Campbell, who if you don't also know Brian Campbell and Christine Goldberg have uprising mm. seeds, they are extraordinary humans and seed keepers as well um, in Bellingham, Washington. Mm -hmm. And so I had had um, this like professional crush on Brian and Christine <laughs> for a long time. And I was like, well, as if I couldn't give you my phone number, <laughs> I have to learn more about Brian Campbell's story. <laughs> so um, other people have children like nine, 10 months after they first meet. And um, when people ask if we have children, we say yes, and great, great, great grandchildren. But literally 10 months after we met, we had signed our LLC papers for fruition seeds, mm. which we're now transitioning to, um, to um, employee owned. There's 12 of us full time at fruition, which feels really exciting. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we just immediately jumped. Matthew had been in agriculture 20 years and was so ready to He'd been at Cornell for a handful of years. Mm -hmm. Hope he had transitioned from like on farm to trying to affect um, change from a policy level, mm -hmm. and was um, pretty thoroughly disillusioned by yeah. him in that space uh. as well. So he was ready to jump into seed and had always been interested in it. Um, of course, growing up with Brian, who actually had been trying to convince Matthew to come join. <laughs> uprising no. for a decade so brian then proceeded to say like oh i get it i just wasn't blonde enough and <laughs> <laughs> i get it now matthew um, and uh, tell us how how you came to the name and um i'm so excited that you're transitioning to employee owns we can talk about that towards the end mm. but start with the name and maybe the first kinds of seeds you focused on in those first few years of Fruition Seeds? What fun. So Fruition, as a name, um, I tried to convince myself of another name, of any other name. I couldn't come up with it. Um, and it turns out I love it. It's a good name. <laughs> but I thought yeah. of... <laughs> I think so too. At the time, it felt cheesy um, and and a bit trite. Um, and I I had the immense privilege of being able to spend a few months in Alaska and visiting a lot of other seed mm. growers um, the summer before we started Fruition Seeds. So I was sitting on the top of a mountain in the Wrangles, the Wrangles St. Elias Mountains in Alaska, and just eating, you know, the most exquisite berries <laughs> in the boreal tundra <laughs> at the base of these glaciers. And I was like, fruition, 
is a wonderful name mm. for a seed company. And yeah, tried to convince myself otherwise, thinking it was a little cheesy, but I couldn't come up with anything that felt better. And I, of course, wouldn't have it any other way now. And this was with Matthew, or did you come to this name and then offer it out to Matthew? It was entirely an idea I had. It was like, what do you think, Matthew? And he was like, I don't think you could have, we could have knocked it out of the park more. <laughs> this is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Petra Page Mann is co-founder with her husband, Matthew Goldfarb, of Fruition Seeds, an organic regionally adapted seed company in western New York. The 12-member team of Fruition is transitioning to being an employee-owned company, and they grow about 60% of their own seed, sourcing the rest primarily from other regional organic seed growers. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, so thinking out loud this week, I know that conversations about anti-oppression work and gardening are not for everyone, but if you're still listening to me now, they are likely for you in at least some capacity or curiosity. And I'd venture to say that in my opinion, most gardeners, especially food or organic or ecological or habitat, even partially native plant gardeners, are in fact engaging in anti-oppression work. But my point here is this. This is the second company we've spoken with in this series, which is headed toward employee ownership. Other seed growers we've spoken with are cooperatives, like Fedco Seeds and Southern Exposure Seed Exchange. Others are nonprofits, like Seed Savers Exchange or Native Seeds Search and the Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance. When Petra talks about engaging our imaginations in conceiving a different world that is better, it is these concepts that come to my mind. Community, collaboration, coordination, exchange, cooperation. All of the things that gardening has embedded right in it and that we as gardeners are engaged in every day we're out there in our gardens or working with our plants. We are collaborating with the plants, with the soil, with the climate. We are coordinating with their timing and with the pollinators. We are exchanging information and love. We are cooperating to make this a relationship that works out for us both. Hmm. How do we optimize that in our thinking, in our actions, in our gardens, and radiate it out from there in everything we do? <laughs> I know I get out there sometimes, but thank you for sticking with me. And thank you as well to Amy Essek and Rebecca Allen and a handful of people over on Instagram for answering my seed questions from last week. I appreciate it, and you will hear more about that soon. Happy February to all of you.
We're back now to our conversation with Petra from Fruition Seeds. When we left off, she had shared the Genesis story of Fruition Seeds, and as we come back, she speaks more about the seeds and the people of Fruition. You knew you were going to establish this in, uh, I think, what is 12 acres now in, you know, the Northeast, and regionally adapted was very important to you. How did you choose your first crops to start growing and trialing in order to get seed Mm. ready? Yeah, it was largely just a function of what do we love to eat and love to grow. (laughs) And so it was just this, you know, I, of course, had been saving seeds for a long time and Matthew had his favorites as well. So it was, you know, really just this, um, just this love story of the seeds that we loved most and were most excited to share. And it's not like things have really changed, though we definitely have a lot of seeds that, I mean, we love them all. Every mother has beautiful, brilliant babies. Uh, But I'm not a great mother, I suppose, in that I definitely have favorites, Jennifer. (laughs) I won't tell them. (laughs) And we are. And we also, you know, just actually try to listen also, you know, when people, when people really want um, certain kinds of things, we are, we are like, oh yeah, sure, we can tell. And then generally as the course, as we, in the course of growing them and getting to know them better, we fall in love with them also and would want to share them as like what we love anyway. So it's a really beautiful But yeah, it was a totally subjective (laughs) mishmash of what do we love to eat? Right. (laughs) Here are the seeds. (laughs) In that first year, um, Rose de Bernay tomatoes that I'd been saving since I was a little girl, Mm -hmm. which are kind of like a pink brandywine cousin, just this like raspberry tomato flavor and just the most beautiful pearlescent pink um and also just oh my gosh there were so many delightful this I'm I love black cumin so black cumin was there and I just love cocazelle zucchini it's kind of this best of both worlds where it has that like costata romanesco Mm. like heirloom flavor but I'd been selecting them for a number of years to be way more spineless and way more productive so kind of those like Oh, it breaks my heart now. Hindsight, you know, now I have lots of ideas about fixed traits and what makes something a marketable commodity. Mm. Um, But, you know, trying to make something a little more, quote, marketable, Um, but also just, you know, open architecture so they're easier to harvest. And um, also in that in that first year, um, Lemon Queen sunflowers Mm. and Oh gosh, I can't wait to go back and look at some photos. But like sugar snap pea was there and actually doing, you know, so much you can't really grow peas without having other kinds of peas in them just from mechanical mixing as a result of industrial scales. So um yeah, wanting wanting to do some huge select we did some huge selections on that so we could actually be sharing sugar snap that was sugar snap yeah (laughs) and not this mixed mixed bag and so from the very beginning did you have um 
root vegetables as well as greens, as well as flowers, as well as herbs, as well as some natives. I mean, was there that big of a of a range in the, no. the beginning? Because the range is lovely, and I especially love, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I think because of its, um, it, it is not yet a usual offering, but the native flowers and herbs, uh, really speaks to me from your, from your region. Mm. Yeah. I'm not in your region, but I'm just like, I'm so glad you're offering (laughs) them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We did not offer natives that first year and we didn't have any root vegetables either. Um, but I would like to share this little story and January 21st is coming to fruition day because, I was, you know, we formed our LLC in December and then so I'm creating our first crop plan in January. And I, you know, and there's this, you know, between isolation distance and population sizes and population is important as an aside because plants can suffer from inbreeding depression just like humans can. So making sure that there's an ample population and you're not risking breeding depression is super important in maintaining really robust, resilient, genetically diverse crops. And so um, I'm creating our first crop plan and I, Matthew was making dinner and I announced to Matthew (laughs) that we were never going to make a living (laughs) and I burst into tears (laughs) And, you know, we just had um, not quite two acres that first year. Mm. And so what can we fit into those contiguous two, not even two acres, maintaining isolation distance and population size. And like, we were going to have like 13 varieties, um, maybe 18. And I was like, there's just no way. There's no, there's no way. And our, from the beginning, our goal was, to, for neither of us to be working off the farm to just give everything to yep. it and um so <laughs> Matthew was very lovely and you know gave me a huge hug and we sat down and a half hour later we realized that I'd had we had had and it stemmed from this like dogged desire that I had had to just be offering seeds that we grew and that was super important to me, a la, you know, our conversation mm-hmm. earlier about um, distributors and just the, the quickly slippery, the quick slippery slope to colonization, just really bad news, extraction, exploitation, and just how seed companies, like, you'd, you'd think everyone grew their own seeds by the way seed companies <laughs> laid it out. And I just really was like... Wanted to be different in that, and Frank Morton, I so respect him as a mentor and friend, and so I re- wild garden seeds, and he's just offering seeds that he grows, which I thought was just so incredible, and I still do. Um, but in that moment, we realized that the deeper value that we wanted to lift up, the deeper love that we wanted to embody was this transparency piece, which we're still, which I were, I'm, we're really not dialing in in this moment. And I'm, I'm really excited to get way back on that and be lifting up everyone else, our beautiful network of organic seed mm-hmm. growers, uh, because we realized like, we're not the only people growing organic regionally adapted seeds in the Northeast. 
And we can't do this work alone, even if we wanted to. And we don't, we don't want to do this work alone, but we've been, if we're just approaching it as here's the seeds that we have to share and there are quote our seeds that we have grown like, oh my gosh, this is such an American exceptionalism mm. and this like independence right. that is just so toxic that we didn't see until that moment. So from that moment on, we reached out to our organic seed growing friends throughout the Northeast and just saw what seeds they had um, that we could be sharing as well. And so from that first year, we were we shared more than those like 13, 18 varieties that we might have. Um, and to this day, you know, just continuing to be cultivating those relationships and, you know, and sharing those seeds of really well adapted for short seasons. Okay. And at this point, your, the size of your farm is, is, is it 12 acres? It's 20. 20. Okay. Talk a little bit about the land access process mm. because I know that is a struggle. It's a struggle on so many levels. I mean, I as an important piece of our experience and for folks wanting to be embedded in communities and have access to land, a huge part of the privilege um, that we have had that has been the foundation and continuing this gift of fruition is that I we're here in Naples in my hometown. And so when, for, so for years before we started fruition, before it had a name, people were like, what do you think? Are you still going to do it? We're so excited. <laughs> like with so many people in this, in this place, so excited to do anything they could to help it come to fruition. And so when it came time for us to be looking for land, our friend Greta Love actually reached out to her friend who I went to school with his grandkids who you know has all of this beautiful some of the best farmland in the Naples area and she asked Mark if he might have any land that he might you know lease us so we wouldn't ever have had access to that land just it, there would never have been on like what land is available for lease for rent right it never would have been and publicly available. So it's those, it was that tight knit community that yes. gave us initial access. And last year, Mark actually offered to sell us 20 acres and which we are so grateful for. And again, like he would never have sold that land. Right. <laughs> he just has seen how we have been investing in it in the best possible sense for almost a decade now and wanted us to be sure that we would be able to be there and of course, I just want to lift up to now that makes us even more deeply complicit in these systems of oppression that are, we can't own seats, we can't own people, we can't own land. And certainly this land that we occupy is Haudenosaunee Seneca land. And there are is an abundance of extraordinary Haudenosaunee Seneca people and flourishing culture with us. And so we're deeply grateful to be in relationship with them and actively finding ways that we can be being in right relationship with this land, with these people, with these seeds, and that will be unfolding for the rest of our life. Yeah. It, it's a, it is certainly a relational process, not a destination mm, point yeah. uh, always. So I love that. 
what other goals or hopes do you have for this work that you might not have been able to Mm. share yet? Oh, well, here's one that is so close to my heart. It's just hard for me (laughs) when people uh, reach out and want to learn how to grow tomatoes better. Um, I, it's so hard for me to just talk about growing tomatoes. Mm. I'm like, wait, don't you want to talk about whiteness and heteropatriarchy too? Oh, I (laughs) thought you did. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, um, not exactly. I just, you know, I wear myself on my sleeve and fruition does too. And we are actively trying to figure out how to, most respectively, responsively, and also reflexively just make sure that we're not just, you know, teaching, giving people fish, giving people seeds, teaching people how to fish, teaching them how to grow and save seeds, but actively being like, this is why food matters on a million other levels. Mm -hmm. And so really trying to open, you know, our gardens grow us so much more than we grow them. And how can the abundance Mm. that we share actually be amplifying abundance for our communities near and far? And that means we have to really start all really seeing and living into and building this culture of gardens are not apolitical and we are nothing is apolitical. And every seed that we sow is sowing the stories and the culture that our great grandchildren of all species, that world that they will inherit. And so really wanting to expand the conversation and make sure that, you know, <laughs> as Matthew says, like, come for the bean growing guide, but stay for the anti-oppression conversation. Right. And like, really, so really building a culture um, within fruition and beyond fruition and this network so far beyond and like, how do we as a community of white folks gardening be able to really hold the complexity and have that tenacity and that courage to be that to be the seeds ourselves and then to be amplifying you know all of the stories and seeds that have (laughs) been systematically exploited and and erased um, for centuries so really trying to center other kinds of seeds other kinds of stories and um so but cultivating the commitments within community so you know and it's really it's really hard work and I can't think of any better work um, to be doing and really looking at the work of Resma Menicum and those somatic abolition and just how do we how do we how do we really start to have these broader conversations as seed people um, and really not just doing it for, you know, like if you're growing a garden just to put up your 40 quarts of tomato sauce, I, I, I don't want to shame anyone. And I also want to build a culture where we can see that that is, that's part of the monoculture of the mind that Vandana Shiva speaks about so eloquently. Yeah. As you move toward being an employee-owned company, would you like to share more about the employees who are Fruition Seeds? Oh my Petra? gosh, they are our family. I 
can spend the oh wow the rest of my life certainly telling you about them but in the same way that I couldn't stop myself from just <laughs> launching into <laughs> these lovely memories with Matthew in the beginning of fruition every single one of the people on our team is just a lilting lovely <laughs> just human that has so much to offer not only in like a professional context but just just the, each one of them challenges me to actually live into these deeper, deeper principles that we are really trying to live into and are just, you know, they are so generous and so fun. I just, Heather, you know, as she, she started, she came to fruition six or seven years ago uh, with a local college brought um, a, a group of students over and then she did an internship with us and then just she would help out with certain projects here and there and then she's been a full-time employee three years now and she's also loves flowers and has her family farm that she is um, bringing into its own. So I just, and um, Amanda, our seat house operations manager, also her partner is a teacher um, a middle school teacher, and then in the summer is a full-time farmer. And so they have this incredible farm that, you know, is kind of a, um, just a, a small market farm. And, you know, I just, so I'd love that like Heather and cultivating her own farm and Amanda and investing in her own farm and artists that like are, are helping us, you know, in their extraordinary professional ways at fruition, but also have these incredible other talents and lives to live into. It's just it's such a beautiful the ways that we can all support each other um, as as artists and as humans and find ways like both for whether it's Sarah and Amanda and Mike and just you know we really take seriously like all of these people are perfect for the quote jobs they have but we really want to make sure that the quote job is right for them first and foremost. And so for all, for everyone with us, we actively try to make sure that fruition is, <laughs> is adapting to their needs and their joys and their lives, whether that's part-time, full-time, whether that's just looking at what their roles and responsibilities, how that changes with time, we will, we will adapt fruition every time to the needs of um, our fruition family, which is such an extraordinary challenge sometimes, but it's always been just turned out for the best for us all on all levels. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been um, energizing and illuminating to share this conversation with you. What a joy, Jennifer. I love your questions and I can't wait for next time. And if you and to everyone listening also, this is your cordial invitation. Should you ever find yourself in the Western New York Finger Lakes, know you are always welcome on our farm and post-pandemic times, you're always welcome in our home as well. And I look so forward to cultivating these places with us all. Thank you. Aww. <laughs> 
Petra Page Mann is a co-founder with her husband, Matthew Goldfarb, and the many people and other lives from past and present of the land they grow on of Fruition Seeds, a young seed company with a big calling. Fruition is a team of 12 humans cultivating over 300 varieties of certified organic vegetables, herbs, and flowers. In the heart of the Finger Lakes region of western New York on unseeded Haudenosaunee Seneca lands, Fruition shares the seeds as well as the tools, inspiration, and insight for growing ourselves as well as our gardens. The team there includes Heather Faber, Davi the dog, Scott Kalpin, Mike Rockman, Amanda Grisa, Janine Shedd, Sylvia Sable, Melissa, Chelsea Gendro, and Rachel Hultengren. Join us again next week when we move from our macro look at seeds to a landscape view of biodiversity in conversation with Ian Dunn of Plant Life. UK, a British conservation charity working nationally and internationally to save threatened wildflowers, plants, and fungi. As Plant Life reminds us, the future of wildflowers isn't cut and dried. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of any page at cultivatingplace.com. We're also made possible by partner support from the California Native Plant Society. To see many photos from Fruition Seed, make sure to check out this week's episode show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, producer and development director Sarah Bohannon, and we're grateful for tech and web support from Angel Haracha Weekly. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.